take the time, take the meds, driving them to school, picking up McDonald's or whatever it may be through the drive-thru, have a conversation. It doesn't have to be in depth. It can just be letting them know that you're there. Talk about things. Welcome to the Generation Youth Podcast, where we ignite the future by empowering our youth. I'm James McLamb, your host, founder, and CEO of Generation Youth, and the author of the best-selling book, Tomorrow's Youth. Whether you're a parent, an educator, youth pastor, or coach, join us as we dive into the pressing issues facing our young people today. Together, We'll unlock the strategies, insights, and inspiration to elevate and equip our next generation. Stay with us, and let's make a difference, one youth at a time. Leanne, thank you for joining us today on the Generation Youth Podcast. Thank you for being our guest. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I, we do appreciate you you being with us today and, and sharing what can really be a complicated topic, a sensitive topic, and a topic that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to discuss at all. But before we even dive into that, our audience always would love to hear more about our guests, who they are, a little bit about their story. So if you wouldn't mind, share a little bit about yourself with uh, the Generation Youth uh, podcast community. Absolutely. Welcome to all those who are listening today. I really appreciate the time for you to take take this uh, opportunity to really listen in on, on Generation Youth and, and what all guests and myself have to offer. I'm Leanne Sherman, President and CEO of the American Association of Suicidology. Um, I've been on board about a year now. And a little bit of background about me, I was not in the suicide prevention and awareness space. It's, and I think many people who are involved in, in the suicide field really come from either a passion from something that they, their experience themselves, or loved one, or they really feel drawn to helping people in this field. And I'll tell you just a quick little story that really comes, I think, full, full circle here in, in the topic we're talking about today. When I was 16, my best friend was sexually assaulted, and she had a very hard time emotionally dealing with it within her family who was very religious and kind of very what we call cream and proper in the days and, and granted um you know i'm i'll tell everybody i just turned 50 so if you can do the math you can see how long you know how many decades ago that was but having said that and um, she really had a hard time coping with everything and couldn't find that support both from counselors or or you know whether it's medical community to to her personally get through she was able to get through medically uh and heal but her herself her self-esteem and um just being able to find people and she ended up dying by suicide within a little less than a year and a half so it was about 17 months after and at the time i just i couldn't comprehend it that it occurred but I also was a teenager myself. We were both 16 at the time, and then 17 when, when she died. If you fast forward that, and, and I really, it's not that I don't talk about it publicly, it just hasn't come out in many situations. But um, two and a half years later, when I was in college, I was sexually assaulted, and it was very violent. I ended up in the hospital, uh, and it was almost a rework of looking at it from my best friend's perspective. Mm-hmm. 
I luckily have individuals at the university that I attended. Um, I had uh, friends and family who maybe not were the, obviously not field, but they supported in the way that they could. Um, I approached it from my perspective. We all have ways that we can overcome things or ways that we cannot and need help and support. And so that was at a tender age, what I would still call you at 19 years old. And it really set the pace for me, I think, and how I approach things, I approach challenges, things that I cannot control. And then when do you say I need help? Mm. Can you get the help? Where do you get it from? How are you able to talk about something that's stigmatized? And so to circle back now, years later, I've had many things in my life. I think many of us who are adults have, those youth that are listening, there are challenges and, and things in your life that you'll appreciate, whether it's a divorce or whether it's getting married, having children, death of a loved one, or exciting things, promotions, jobs, buying a house, medical situations that come up. You've had highs and lows. And not everyone deals with things in the same manner. And, you know, for me, that evolution of ebbs and flows in my adult life, you know, the passing of my mother, myself having cancer, and then having a stroke at 40 years old, you start to look at things from, it's just another challenge. It's a way you get through. Not everyone can look at it the same way. And the last thing, James, is, you know, less than two years ago, but 18 months ago, um, our house caught on fire. And I was actually in my honeymoon uh, with my husband. I was country, and my my son was home from college. It was Thanksgiving. My daughter was 16. She was at her father's, and we lost everything we owned, we built. My mother had passed away, and it was everything. I had a purse, two of the three of our animals, and it was another triumph in my life. And at this point in time, I said, I've got to do something more. So this is why I'm with AAS. I looked at my career, my life, my personal experience and said, how can I get back? How can I do more? Um, and, and I think that's now why I'm here is because I wanted to be in a space where I can do something uh, with both my lived experience, my knowledge, my education, and make it better. Look for ways to improve people's lives. Leanne, thank you for sharing uh, that. Thank you for that. That that sets us up really for, for a very good conversation going forward. What brings us together, obviously, is the topic of youth and suicide. And, and unfortunately, we have seen an increase, an alarming increase in the, in the rates, especially at least from the numbers that I have. You, you probably have much better access to later numbers than that. In, in the younger demographic, you know, 10 to 14, it seems to be increasing so much. And we're seeing as much as one in five uh, based on CDC surveys that are contemplating this or thinking about this, uh, youth that are thinking about this. What's happening here? What's, what is going on? Why is this increase going happening? What, based on your experience and, and, and the knowledge your organization has, what do you think is driving this? Because I know as a parent, I'm listening and I'm alarmed at these statistics. And my first question that I want to know is why? Yeah. And, and I, and I, boy, I would love to hear you. Here's your answer. Like, uh, yeah, I, I know. I know. I knew, I knew laying that question out there. <laughs> well, I contemplated, how do I ask that? Because 
But it's a question we want to know. I mean, in, in audience literally, Leanne and I are not going to give you the concrete answers because there are so many intangible things, but we can maybe give you some insight. Absolutely. So there's there's several things and several factors that both us as an organization, researchers, community leaders, loved ones, when you start to expand upon a really look at why are youth are in positions of either suicidal ideation or in a suicidal crisis, or maybe they are just teetering on what classify as suicidal ideations. Like they maybe haven't thought suicide is the word, but they know that they are in a, in a very critical period. And what we're seeing, and there are a lot of different ways. Obviously, I think some people fully understand the bullying, the cyberbullying, that aspect of, you know, used to be maybe, James, when you were our kids, it, it happened in person at school or maybe at a, a sporting field. or And now literally reach you. That bullying can occur everywhere, every day, every minute because of, either social media or being able to pull in that network. So it used to be talk to one person or maybe be at the phone. If now you put something out there about someone else, true or not, and it can go viral, it can spread like wildfire. That is one of the big things that we are seeing. And and it's a lot of that has to deal with educating people, educating parents, getting people more involved and engaged with the move. But that doesn't solve it all. What we're also seeing are several things such as there are many different things that are socially accepted and socially unaccepted. It's confusing for the younger mom, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but some of our research is there are so many things out there, whether it's gender identity, whether it's coming from you know a specific type of household or household environment, whether it's your demographic. Whether it's where you know, where you live, reside, play, work, whether it's having access to food security or or any of, of standard things that we would consider everyone should want shelter, food, clothing, and everyone has different on um, different social economic things that they come from, and that right there is confusing for younger people because those individuals don't really understand having careers, having bills, um, how do I navigate when the parent loses a job or if we have to move somewhere because some situation happened. Growing up in um, maybe a housing situation that's got the most safe cool. And they don't navigate intellectually or neurologically that um, a bill and the reason group. And so everything for a younger person is really more instantaneous. This is how I feel. This is what's happening now. This is what I see chronically. And that reasoning and ability to problem solve hasn't truly developed. So to ask the questions of a parent, a teacher, a clergy, someone in the community, a neighbor, a friend, it's difficult for them to voice that. It's difficult for them as a younger person to be able to express how they think it feels. And so a lot of it is held in. And then they don't really know what to do with it. Oh. So that is, that is a thing for that really younger generation. Of, now, again, it can be any number of those factors. And you start to move up further into that 10, 12, 15 year range. Now you really start to get a point to developing. 
as they're developing relationships with other individuals. Dynamic of relationships, you start to see those teenage years where, let's be honest, uh, you're either in a crowd, you're not in the crowd, you're part of this, you're not part of that. Um, that weighs heavily on the teenage years. Um, mm. And then you start to look, what am I going to do in two or three years when I'm out of high school? Am I going to need a job? How do I get a job? What education will I have? Am I going to school? Questions start to increase. Well, we're seeing, and this is not for everyone. You know, obviously there are those individuals with mental illness. There are those individuals who have post-traumatic stress, you know, or have been in traumatic situations. So I'm just talking very general clinical things, but there are a lot of stress and pressures in youth who do not necessarily the neurological or ability to problem solve as I mentioned, to get through them on their own. And they don't like all of them are communicable. So it puts them right. this, let's call a hole of how do they get out? How do they seek help? And it's really up to the adults, I think, in this situation where we need to be vigilant, we need to be perceptive, we need to give them a safe space to, to have a conversation, even if they can't voice it in the words that we're expecting. We need to, to break that stigma and make a safe space and a safe place for our youth to talk about whatever it is. Wow. You know, those line up to a lot of the things that we have discovered just on the basic level. Uh, we, we interviewed over 2,500 youth, asked them what they thought the biggest issues and problems facing their generation were. And once we got the answers, we categorized them. And two of the, the two biggest areas, one was their identity, their self-image. You know, who am I? Am I a person of worth? If they obviously, if they view that as a negative portion, that's going to impact this. And the second one you hit upon too, and as they move into high school, is you know relationship skills. Where do I belong? You know, where's my tribe? And and those two issues are so crucial. And then the third one being, you know, what am I here for? You know, how do I set goals to accomplish my purpose in life? Which I even read somewhere that one of the problem, one of the solutions maybe for the opposite of depression was not happiness, but the opposite of depression was purpose. And I thought, well, yes. that's, that's a great concept as well. If you don't mind things, you know, one of the, I don't want to say it's the, the, the largest thing, or the most important thing is stop. There are several things when we talk about suicide, suicide prevention. I just want to clarify for me, and I'm talking from, from my perspective as a non-scientist, non-researcher, non-psychologist. With someone looking at the field, social isolation, loneliness, purpose, those are all words that are so meaningful. What what am I supposed to be doing? Why do I exist? What is my place? And that place doesn't have to be huge, right? We as adults, we're thinking about our career. We're thinking about our spouse and significant other. If we have one, if we want one. Or it's a parent. Um, all of those things in my community, children or youth, depending on the age, right? I mean, they they need to know that, mm-hmm. right? They need to understand it, and then they need to be able to grow with that understanding. Um, and that's a really hard place. So social isolation, loneliness, purpose are really, really big things that we need to pay attention as adults and as communities. 
Wow. That's deep. I love that. So as a parent or a teacher, educator, someone that's listening to this, that is like, I understand what you're saying. Some of the causes are, what are some of the signs that I need to be on the lookout for? Uh, What do I need to be observant for? Because my daughter is 13 and in her class, uh, a grade ahead of her last year in school, a young lady committed suicide. And one of the things that I heard most often the people surrounding is we never had a clue. We never had a clue. We didn't see any signs. So, and I know there's not a hundred percent, Hey, there's a checklist here. Look at the checklist. That's what we want, but those don't exist. But what are some signs that they could look for be on the, on the observing for as, as we work with these youth to make sure that, you know, we can help them. Thanks, James. So I want to talk about the concept of having signs, right? Signs, we'll call it symptoms, things to look for. If we really want to be honest about suicide, suicide awareness, suicide prevention, and not just suicide, but what I what I call pre-prevention, right? We want to, want to get individuals out from the age before they're struggling, right? Before they get into a situation of contemplating suicide or having suicide ideations. Signs, when we think of things, we think of what are the signs of a stroke? There's an acronym for it. What are the signs of a heart attack? You know, we're well up down, this and that happens, what perpetrates us? What are the signs of when you have the flu? The rubbing nose, sore throat, strep throat. These are all health things. And we as a country and even as a world, look at signs and symptoms as they're a telltale thing to say, okay, this is probably what you have. Let's start treat. But we don't do that as much or as well as we probably should when it comes to mental health, when it comes to suicidal ideation, when it comes to really recognizing things that happen with individuals at any age. Mm. And so, yes, it's important for you. But if you think about it, it's also a peer-to-peer. So it's happening in your workplace for teacher-to-teacher, counselor-to-counselor. They're all the same kinds of signs. You just have to look at the age group. So when we're looking at signs and youth or individuals, some clear ones would be, you know, not having friends without sitting with anyone at the lunch table. All right, some, some really basic things. It needs sense. Are they doing things that they're more alone for? Do they have at times when they cry or maybe are emotional? Their focus, uh, whether in class or when they're and and you know some may say, well, it's a medical condition, ADHD or something else. But are they really feeling as though they should be there? Should I be listening? I, I, I'm thinking too much about the problems that I have. I can't focus in class. You also want to look for, and this is very difficult, teachers who are listening were spending, what, seven, eight hours ending with with someone else's child and can't put it all on the teacher or the, the people who work in the lunchroom or the bus driver, but they spend a lot of time with our kids with our youth. And so then, more than anyone, um, as long as all clergy sports coaches, really take a look at the actions for the inaction. Right? So you see a whole group of children at recess playing, doing this, doing that. You see one, one child who may be sitting or sitting with another child in a cup on their own. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. They could just be introverted. They could be those who don't want to play. They'll dodgeball or things fall or swing with things. But you have to start piecing these things together. So you see mm-hmm. one sound, which is social isolation. You see another sound. Pulling away from things or not being involved 
or interested. You see another sign maybe it's a parent. Um, where is it from home? They you know, want to sit and have family dinner. They go to the room. Another sign of this is a no escape reform uh, about video games or watching YouTube, but they're not interacting with individuals. So those types of things of watching YouTube and maybe being up at your games unless you're interacting via the Google, they closed in their network. They're really feeding themselves. And so these are some of the bigger signs. Uh, and so these are also signs by adults. But in children, they also don't know how to express it any more than their actions. Mm. So you look at films and look for inactions. That pulling red, social isolation, that being alone, being okay to be alone, um, not really listening or paying attention. Um, you also can see in some outbursts, we don't have a deal. So they've got this pent up with their anger, upsetness, rage, just complete confusion. And so outwards or mm -hmm. or some would say not being kind or or not being able to you know, do things that uh, that are social acceptable mm. that those are some of the signs that you normally know, see but again as you mentioned not everyone has a sign yeah are there any groups uh, or demographics of youth that are at more at risk than others or maybe even situations that they're going through because i'm thinking as we as we list some possible signs and indicators, it's like a funnel, and if we can get a little bit more, it, it'll help folks kind of focus in a little bit. Yeah, understanding the audience and what we're talking about, there are no, as I said before, there's no checklist what? here. You you've got to be observant. We'll, we'll we'll discuss a little bit more about what we can do in a minute, but so there are like from some of the statistics, and again, this is not. You know, not, not everyone and, and some may agree or disagree, but what the statistics of the data, what the research is showing is that we're finding um, Native American, um, you know, uh, as well as some BIPOC community, you know, just the Black, Indigenous, people of color. They tend to be more, they tend to be on the higher level of those who are having um, suicidal ideas or even death by suicide. Uh, some of the things that we're seeing and hearing in the research, and like that, this doesn't mean that it's uh, the, the black example, and it's um, in black communities, what we've heard is, you know, it's usually, you know, church, family, and then self. And so if you're dealing with your church and, and your family and your self-worth comes at the very bottom, and you're, you know, that may be and is, from some of the research we've seen within communities, within families. And so we about your church and your family absolutely are important, but yourself is just as important, if not more. And mm -hmm. so allowing our youth that our individuals feel to say, it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to reach out to someone and still grow up and feel as priorities. Uh, what we're seeing in some of our Native American or, um, you know, indigenous people is that they're in similar roles you know they're especially in our native american as well very similar to our black community is that they're looked at as family as as groups as people who are the better way of, of explaining it is they have heritage they have social things that they built within being a native american or being someone of color or being whatever that may be and so those always come first. 
and the individual not so much. You don't necessarily see that in a Caucasian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just scientific depth, that you're seeing that more of those BIPOC communities. We're also seeing it in the LGBTQ. Obviously, as you talked about a little earlier, is you know, self-worth, understanding, valuing, and within yourself, but having others validate that. And so that group, while while luckily it is growing so they have support amongst themselves, it is still not a group of individuals who truly feel as though there's not a stigma anymore about being LGBTQ+. Mm. Um, and all of those factors, when you start putting people, not that we want to, into studying them as groups, individuals, heritage, religion, there's not enough research out there. They say mm-hmm. this is a definitive. We haven't studied those groups segregated, segregational enough. The question is, do we really need to study them in a segregated manner? Probably to find some data, absolutely, because there are differences among people on how we deal with heritage things and family traditions or religious aspects. I would see nowadays a lot of things across the world. For those Listeners who are who are not familiar, you know, there's some several countries and states in Africa who are now banning uh, punishment by death LGBTQ. If a family member or friend is aware that someone is, they consider up to 20 years in prison. So you've got very distinct views around the world, and so we don't have enough research. But what we can say is, within communities, within families, within heritage, within those types of generational um we're starting to see where it's coming out that it's there's a stick but we don't talk about it and in those groups as much that's where you see the higher or we've seen the higher rates of them of the suicide ideations because it's just not something you can consider it's not mm. something you want to talk about it's not something that everyone should talk about i'm seeing too from some of the studies that Suicide ideation rates are higher for girls than they are for guys. Now, uh, death by suicide tends to be higher for guys than girls. Am I right on that? Is that is that accurate? That is, that is what, right. what? What's the deal going on there? You know, why is the ideation higher? I understand why the. Well, I have a theory about why the death by suicide would be higher with guys uh, than than girls. But what what is what is going on there? So. First, at that ideation, um, and again, you know, research data still needs to do a lot more. But what we find is, first of all, the genetic makeup, the the way females think about things, how they process things. Obviously, you know, the old books that men are from Venus, you know, women are from Mars, or whatever it is. There is some truth to that. It's how we process, right? How you look at things, women maybe at times thinking cognitively or through the problem solving about how they look at a situation and evaluate it from very differently than men. And when we pull that down to youth, right, and we look at the pubescent age group and we look at who evolves first, who starts to go through puberty first, mm-hmm. we're seeing, you know, men, boys tend to go through it at a slower pace, a little longer pace. Women start puberty, the hormones, the chemicals, those things happen in earlier age. So there's a scientific piece to that. 
right? Um, I think everyone can understand that part. Girls by nature, you know, let's be honest, we see a lot of them, again, this is that stereotypical, but girls tend to be um, sometimes more sensitive to At least it's not every girl. You know, we have men that are very sensitive, but in that pubescent stage, they're finding themselves. You, you may have you know, girls versus boys who care more about their look, care more about who they're friends with, what mm-hmm. they're doing, how they're doing it. Boys of the younger age or in that childhood and youth age, they want to play sports or they want to be in this group or they hang out with their friends and that's all okay. Because their view and their vision of that investment state is different, both from the chemical, neurological standpoint and from the puberty spectrum than a girl. Mm. Right? So some of it is really starting to lead in how, you know, we see those factors coming through. Oh. And then you start coupling the environmental factors and bullying and everything else into it, your demographic. It just compounds that. Wow. So uh, we've got listeners now who've, who've stuck with us for 30 minutes and they're like, all right, I'm on the edge here. What? A, yep. Give me something that I can do. How can I help? How? Um, so let's start with a parent. You know, what, what are some things that a parent can do? Maybe... And again, I, these questions are like uh, some parents are like, yeah, give me a give me a list, give me a book that I can read to tell me those things. It really, I think education and understanding more. But if we could give them a starting point, something that they could, you know, some some tips to help them or or something to get them started so that they could at least have a little bit less anxiety towards this themselves. You know, what would you recommend to a parent how they can help? Yeah, and hopefully this helps some parents. And it's going to sound very basic. And some might say, I mean, well, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that checklist. But I would say, have an open dialogue with your children from literally the moment they are born. So it's ingrained in how you parent. And that doesn't mean if you've got an eight year old or 10 year old or a 15 year old, you can't start now. You can sit them down and say, listen, if you ever need a toy, if you, if you need to talk about anything, uh, we're here. I'm here, your aunt is here, your grandmama, right? It doesn't have to be a parent. It can be another loved one, family member, or a friend who is very close to that child. So it doesn't just have to be the parent, right? It can be a very close family friend who can sit that child down and say, if there's anything you ever need, if you have questions online, if there's anything that's ever, you know, you're not sure how to approach something, feel free to have that open dialogue. Let's sit down and talk about it. You need to have a child will be able to feel comfort level of sharing things, of expressing things. It may not be what we as parents are prepared for when they sit down with us. That's first and foremost. If you have a, a youngster, a baby or a toddler, and you have the opportunity now, those listeners who can start this quickly, because always have that, whether it's over the dinner table, you know, so there's things within a family you can do. Have dinner together. Ask about their day what it's going on, um, be interested in art projects at school. I mean, we as parents get so busy, we need to kind of go back to that engagement. Now, I understand sometimes we have single parents that maybe are working multiple jobs or working off hours of their children, uh, whether it's police officer, medical field, things that you know require constant 24-hour uh, positions and careers. You don't always have that time or ability but you need to make a little time. Is that child or individual? Remember how I said they're in the moment, their instinct 
right? With that interaction, they feel things immediately. Take the time, take the minute, driving them to school, picking up McDonald's or whatever, maybe if you've been driving through, have a conversation. It doesn't have to be in depth. It can just be letting them know that you're there. Talk about things um, that maybe aren't necessarily themselves, the hard subjects, how do you feel? You know, is anyone bullying you? No. Have just general conversations so that you build a trust, you build a bond. They know that you're interested in them. Um, those are really, they are very important. The other piece of that is if you're concerned, there are resources out there. You or other individuals in your family can take some classes that are communities. You can take mental health first aid, that they got where you are. Take a class on safe assist. We can take QPR training. So, so any of these words, and you'll Google and find them. You can also go to and, and here that plug, but we work with directly with YouTube on what they call a health panel. Um, so if you Google many different words, many different things, um, and I will search into, we've helped them secure different words, sentence structures. And there'll be a plethora of resources, videos, TED Talks, documentaries, information that a parent, a school teacher, a loved one, a neighbor could access. Uh, mm. If you really need to talk to someone, uh, you can call the Boca Crisis Center. Um, you can call them down emergency number and say, I'm struggling. I don't know how to reach my child or I'm unsure of signs I'm seeing. Are they even signs? And they can either put you in touch with someone or talk with themselves, depending on who and what's in your community. And I think with that, you can call 988. You can call, text, um, chat. 988 is now by Google. Um, that was sold out in July. So 988 started in July of 2022, the official rollout. And then July of 23, it's now by Google. Working wow. out 24, hope to have an ASL or video for ASL, but that's not quite out yet. So there are resources within communities. There are resources online. And but I think a real important thing is just take a few minutes every day and just have a conversation that allows that to meet that person. But it's also to the peer. I just want to remind people, even though we're talking about you today, have a conversation with your spouse, your friend, your coworker, right? Because adults also get into that space one so just a reminder for everyone out there and if you yourself will you, you need some help dial call chat ted saturday or um look to some different organizations you can pretty much find us about it we have trainings bars and more for those who live with funerals and the field of study the field of work um, but just make sure you'll be waiting. i love i love the the communication part and one of them Myths I think we could dispel is that some parents feel and some adults feel, I don't want to talk to them about suicide because it will give them an idea. You'll put it in their head. And I had a recent podcast guest who had written about this. She's a nurse practitioner and studies this and, and work with it. And, and she had talked to me and said, you're not going to put an idea in their head that they have not already had in their head. So that's a fear that we need to dispense. So audience, Again, if you listened to us a month ago, you heard this. Let's echo it again. Don't be afraid to talk about things that are subjects that are sensitive for fear of, I don't want to give them an idea. 
And that can be not only suicide, but we can talk about it in terms of, you know, drug use or alcohol use or sexual use, you know, all those types of things. They're already thinking about that. What it does is the inverse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. By talking to them, it gives them a space to, hey, they, I might get to talk to them. Now, it's going to be awkward. Especially if they're, like you just said, hey, don't worry if you're, your kid's 15 years old, you can start there. If you wait till 15, it's going to have some awkward time. It will. It will. But, but as a parent or a loved one or a teacher or clergy person, friend, neighbor, do you have to them and yourself mm-hmm. to, to, to give that? One of the points I want to make when we're talking about youth, and as I started, you know, kind of telling my story, and one of the things we're seeing in research, and, and I want to bring it up because they are is our college students. We're seeing a very heavy, the most data-centric right now on loneliness and that a lot of college students are having suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much transition. Yes, you know, our youth transitions between kindergarten, like elementary school, middle school, and then there's always there's always challenges with that and, and anxiety with that. And we need those parents and teachers and loved ones to be able to help them through that. But there is a huge transition for many, most individuals who come out of high school. It's a little bit more sheltered here with your parents or with grandparents, loved ones. We've got now that sheltering of teachers. And all of a sudden, you are now an adult. You are, well, maybe you're 17, going away college, or you've turned 18 in that time frame. You are now an adult. You're living on your own. You're doing your own laundry. You're eating or not eating. You're getting up for class. You're showering or not showering. You, know, you don't know anyone unless there's something from your school that are there. Even so, there are different class schedules. We are seeing this rise amongst college students. We have to remember that there's a huge transition for them that they need to be able to have conversations and talk through it. Luckily, many schools and universities have great programs. But here's the thing. If they haven't had that feeling as though it's okay to talk to people, they're not going to reach out to those programs. No matter how much marketing schools and universities do, know how much wonderful programs are available for students, an individual, hasn't been brought up through parents to schools to say it's okay to talk about it, then they won't reach out. So we need to make sure we don't forget those individuals in that college time frame when they're out of our own. And even those who are not going to college. If someone graduates high school and decides to live in with a few friends or get their own apartment and have a job, they're still transitioning and it can be longer. And they can they are in a point in their life where they are now doing things they have never done before. Um, yeah. And they're in space that they have never been before. Well, we need to remember that as adults, that just because they've gone off to college or returned 18 and got the job, that now they're just this miraculous adult and they can handle everything. So they're still our youth, and they're still individuals that need us as adults to support them. When, and to add to that, and I don't want to, run down this rabbit hole because this is a whole this could be a whole other hour of talk is the pan- coming out of the pandemic those who were high school students during the pandemic and had their juniors and senior years up you know turned upside down and did not have I was a teacher for a decade and I can tell you that starting at the end of junior year of most 
students, teachers, not consciously. It's not like we have a teacher's meeting and say, hey, we got to start treating them different because they're seniors now. Right. But we start giving them, we start talking to them differently. We start acting differently. They get different events. Those things didn't happen. Those are all things that were preparing them for that launch. And then what happens is what you said is all of a sudden they are launched and they're not ready for it. And, you know, it's so we, I, I agree with you. That's a that's another thing. Another topic that I wish we had time for is it, that I, I didn't think of until you said a while ago when you were talking about peer to peer. It made me think, too, of how do we educate the youth? to be conscious and, and and be able to help their peers because we know from data and interviews and live situations that they are, that our young person is more likely to share their feelings of loneliness, isolation, of depression with a friend or someone they know than they will a trusted adult. So that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother world right there. It is all over. Well, I just want to give you a, a few pieces of data for the listeners. So, as I mentioned, 988 rolled out uh, last July, and it rolled out in a very, um, what we're going to call not this massive bark thing thing, right? Because you, have, you needed to build the infrastructure. Um, it's, it's a program, you know, federally funded, um, and then it comes down through, and then states are, you know, are funding as well, different pricing centers. There's a whole different slew of ways that it's getting funded. Um, we're not getting funded, so I, I want to break that up, that we need to support this 98 infrastructure. But what we're finding is there were about 5 million calls in the first year. Wow. For a program that is t- was technically not marketed. Everybody knows 911. And when you talk about 87% of Americans do not know what 988 is. Now, we're now in our second year, right? We started the second year. And what we're seeing is that... Yes, the calls have risen about 40 some percent, right? But the chat feature, the chat and the text feature have risen almost 1100 percent. Now, I'm going to be a little stereotypical here and say our younger generation are the ones chatting and texting. So that tells you they want to talk to someone who can understand where they're coming from. And what we're also hearing from crisis centers is that they, a lot of them have a youth, youth crisis individuals who are working, volunteering, they people in high school, people in college. They go through a lot of extensive training. So it's not just sticking a 16-year-old on a phone line or, or to answer chats, obviously. They have to go through a lot of training and make sure that they're able, able to be able to answer these chats and cracks. But what we're seeing is you need and want, to your point, Jane, to talk to a player. They don't want, and what we've been told in our research is an adult, as a parent, as a, as a loved one adult, we tend to want to fix a problem. Here's a problem. Let's fix it. You do this, 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 and this. And we want to teach our children, this is how you fix it. You want someone to talk to. You want mm-hmm. to talk through it. They want to be able to know someone else is listening, someone else has gone through it, going through it, understands it. And that's what we're finding. And that conversation is very different from peer-to-peer adult and peer-to-peer youth. Hmm. So just a reminder about it, belts out there listening and for the youth that are listening, you know, yes, it's understandable. You, you need and want to talk to someone who can who is in that space, who's been in that space, who recognizes it. 
Um, and that's what we're seeing is really happening out there. Mm. Well, Ian, how can our our listeners, our, our community, uh, get in touch with you guys? How can they connect with you guys so that they can learn more? Or or are there even other places that you would send them as well? So share some so some resources here in our last couple of minutes together. So. Absolutely. And you can up our website, suicidealth.org. It's our website. Um, we have a plethora of resources. I will tell you that we have an extensive amount of new trainings that are coming out within the next three months. So there'll be a lot more things we're putting together and updating a ton of toolkits and resources on peer-to-peer, adults, parents, community, clinicians, schools, universities, counselors, both. Really dropping within our website. You can also sign up to be, um, to receive our newsletter. It's got a lot of up-to-date information and statistics, things to use. There's a lot of other places too. On our website, we do have a resources page. And so we have resources for, we talked about different types of ethnic backgrounds, different LGBTQ, different types of heritage and, and BIPOC communities. Uh, we have individuals resources for those within the clinical field. Parents. We also talk about equal needs. Goes back to a point that you had earlier about what men tend to tend to do it. Men tend to use a gun or something more uh, harsh. Women tend to use pills or something like that. We have resources out there to kind of show different things. There's also a place on our website you can see where is the help in the community. Um, but it's not just us. Every every county, every state has some sort of, whether it's a Department of Health or Department of Human Services, depending on the state that you're in, you can always reach out to your state agency and look at your county. If you were to look at any of your listeners, where the little look at your county governor, there's some sort of mental health, health, um, human services within your county government makeup. Now, some may be too small in the rest of the state, but they're helping your community. And just a reminder that if you dial, call, chatter, text 988, they can also be very particular about giving resources in your community. Oh. Um, so so if you're not sure where to go, there are all those other things I said to you, you know, go to YouTube, go to some trusted sources. You know, because you want to make sure you're getting great information. The CDC has a lot of recordings now. But inside your community tends to be sometimes a little bit better if you need something sooner and quicker. Because then they can put you in touch with counseling services or maybe a little hospital or intake or you know, things that make sense within your community. And audience, uh, everything that the, the resources and the links that you talk about is in the show notes. So if you guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, obviously look down. Hit show more, and there's the notes. If you're listening, just go to your podcast app. You'll you'll have a, a, a in the show notes on there. You'll be able to find that. But again, thank you for this conversation. Uh, this could this could be a multi you know multi podcast episode just because of the depth of it, the seriousness of it. But I so appreciate your passion and and your commitment to this. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It really really has been impactful for me. And because uh, I took I took pages of notes, so uh, I hope the audience did as well. I was writing stuff down, and uh, I was kind of worried. Oh, she's not. She thinks I'm not paying attention, but I'm writing stuff down. So, uh, no, absolutely. I'm looking forward to your listeners being able to find resources and support that they need, whether for themselves or or for those individuals that care about. 
of our books in the Muslim community. So hopefully we'll continue to listen to your podcast and they'll, they'll seek those resources if they move them. Thank you so much for your time. And audience, thank you for sticking with us. Listen, if you've been listening to us for almost 50 minutes, you have found great value in what you're listening. So therefore, you know someone who needs to listen, hear this as well. So please like and share it and comment on this. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get the updates on this. And thank you for being a part of our uh, community today. And we'll see you again soon on the Generation Youth Podcast. And there you have it. Another impactful episode of the Generation Youth Podcast. To all of our listeners out there, remember to hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Want to be a part of the Generation Youth community? Follow us on all of our social media platforms. We'll keep you connected with all of our upcoming episodes and inspiring initiatives. You're not just a listener here. You're a catalyst for change. Together, we're building a future filled with promise, potential, and endless possibilities. This journey is just starting, so keep tuning in, keep growing, and let's continue uplifting our youth one episode at a time. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, let's keep sparking inspiration and igniting the future.